Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Iranian diplomats arrive in Saudi Arabia after years. Tehran, that's when Saudi Arabia severed relations with the Islamic Republic after Iranian hardliners attacked Saudi diplomatic missions in Iran. The development reflects the potential for improving ties and a possible exchange of diplomats between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Jeddah is the permanent venue of the 57-member organization. Saeed Katabzaid, the spokesman for Iran's foreign ministry, told reporters that Iran is focusing for now on reopening its offices in OIC with three diplomats. Iran has long said it's ready to reopen its embassy in Riyadh. In recent months, neighboring Iraq has hosted talks between the two Arab nations aimed at normalizing ties. The regional rivals have taken sides with opposite parties across the Middle East, including in war-stricken Yemen and Syria. Saudi Arabia is also concerned about Iran's nuclear and ballistic missiles programs. Iran says the nuclear program has peaceful purposes and its missile program is merely defensive. Six Iranian Revolutionary Guards killed in attack in Syrian desert. Three Iranian diplomats have arrived in Saudi Arabia to represent Tehran in the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, State TV reported Monday. The report said the diplomats arrived several days ago, marking the first time that Saudi Arabia is receiving diplomats from Iran since 2016. Six members of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, IRG, were killed and more than 14 others were injured on Saturday evening in an armed attack in the Syrian desert, al-WASL news site reported. The site quoted field sources as saying that the attack took place while the convoy was heading from Damascus International Airport towards the Palmyra Desert in the Homs countryside, noting that the convoy consisted of 10 four-wheel drive vehicles loaded with militants, in addition to two armored vehicles and a vehicle loaded with weapons and ammunition. According to the site, Armed militants targeted the convoy after it had crossed the city of Aldama using machine guns and anti-aircraft guns, while clashes continued for about 20 minutes. The attackers fled deep into the desert after killing six militants, including an Iranian field commander named Hajj Jabbar Abu Farshad, in addition to the injury of more than 14 members of varying degrees and causing material damages. Following the attack, the Iranian militias cordoned off the place, and launched a broad combing campaign after bringing in huge reinforcements from the Damascus and Homs countryside. Since the beginning of this year, the Iranian militias have been subjected to several attacks by militants believed to be affiliated with the Islamic State militant group. Tonga Volcano, officials try to clear ash from airport runway to allow aid planes to land. Officials in Tonga are working to clear layers of ash coating the international airport so that planes can bring much-needed aid after a devastating volcanic eruption and a subsequent tsunami over the weekend caused untold damage to the Pacific nation. While Thuamotu International Airport on Tonga's main island, Tongatapu, remains standing, 
Australia said the ash covering the runway must be cleared before it can land a C-130 military plane with emergency supplies including fresh water. Satellite images on Tuesday showed people trying to manually clear a pathway to facilitate rescue efforts. First images from surveillance planes flying over the Pacific island nation of Tonga have revealed catastrophic and extensive damage to some villages in low-lying coastal parts of the archipelago. Photographs taken by the New Zealand Air Force over the tiny Tongan island of Mango showed an entire village had been destroyed, with bright tarpaulin marking higher ground where survivors had since taken shelter. A similar picture emerged from Atata and Nomuka Islands, where surveillance crews observed a large number of buildings missing and multiple trees uprooted, with debris throughout. The first of two confirmed deaths of 50-year-old British charity worker Angela Glover emerged on Monday but the real casualty figure in the tiny nation of about 100,000 people remains unknown as communications were cut off by the volcanic explosion and roads and the airport damaged. A state of emergency has been declared in Tonga but aid efforts face further complications due to strict COVID-19 restrictions that only allow Tongan citizens and permanent residents to enter. Curtis Tuihalanginji, Tonga's deputy head of mission in Australia, said the government was concerned about the risk of the virus reaching the island through aid deliveries as it is currently COVID-free. We don't want to bring in another wave. A tsunami of COVID-19 Mr. Tuihalanginji told Reuters. He added that it is likely that foreign personnel would not be allowed to disembark aircraft and any aid delivered would need to be quarantined. The eruption on the uninhabited volcanic island of Hungatonga Hungaharapai was so powerful that its impact was felt in Fiji and New Zealand and coastlines were flooded from Japan to California. Two people drowned off a beach in northern Peru due to high waves caused by the tsunami. It was one of the largest recorded eruptions in decades, estimated by scientists to have exerted a force equivalent to 1,000 Hiroshima nuclear bombs and exploding 30 kilometers into the air and depositing ash, gas and acid rain across a swathe of the Pacific. Significant damage was reported along the western coast of Tonga's main island of Tongatapu, where there are many vacation resorts, and the waterfront of the capital, Nukualofa. The Haratafu Beach Resort, 13 miles west of Nukualofa, was completely wiped out, the owners said on Facebook. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, ACAR, said there was particular concern about two small islands, Fonoi and Mango, where a distress signal was detected. According to the Tonga government, 36 people live on Mango and 69 on Fonoi. Further volcanic activity cannot be ruled out a car said, reporting only minor injuries but emphasizing that formal assessments, especially of the outer islands, had yet to be determined. New Zealand has been at the forefront of international aid efforts. On Tuesday, the country's navy announced it had dispatched the HMNZS Wellington, carrying divers and hydrographers and a Sea Sprite helicopter. It said it would be joined by the HMNZS Aotearo, loaded with much-needed water and humanitarian aid and disaster relief supplies.
Alexander Mathia, the Red Cross Asia-Pacific director, said water purification to remove ash contamination, providing shelter and reuniting families were the priorities in the aftermath of the disaster. Royal Navy veteran dubbed Brighton Cat Killer dies. A former Royal Navy gunner dubbed the Brighton Cat Killer after he carried out a string of deadly attacks on pets has died. Security guard Steve Bouquet was jailed last year in relation to the deaths of nine cats and injuries to seven more. He's carried out his deadly spree in the East Sussex city between October 2018 and May 2019 before finally being captured on CCTV set up by the owner of a dead feline. On Tuesday, the prison service confirmed that he had died at hospital on January 6. The cause of death is not known, but at his sentencing hearing the court was told Bouquet had been diagnosed with thyroid cancer, which had spread to his liver and lungs. A prison service spokesperson said, Steve Bouquet died at Maritime Medway Hospital on 6 January 2022. The prisons and probation ombudsman has been informed. Bouquet was jailed for five years and three months at Hove Crown Court last July after being found guilty of 16 offences of criminal damage in relation to the cats, as well as possession of a knife. Bouquet served in the Royal Navy for 22 years, including in Northern Ireland and Iraq. During his trial, jurors heard accounts from several cat owners who had found their pets bleeding on their doorsteps. Nine cats Hendrix, Tommy, Hannah, Alan, Nancy, Gizmo, Kyo, Ollie and Cosmo were killed, while another seven were injured. Sentencing him, Judge Jeremy Gold QC said his behavior was cruel, it was sustained and it struck at the very heart of family life. He added, it is important that everyone understands that cats are domestic pets but they are more than that. They are effectively family members. They are much loved by the adults and children who live with and care for them. Cats and all domestic animals are a source of joy and support to their owners, especially during lockdown. Restaurant owner brands customer a disgrace for complaining about poor service. An Australian restaurant owner has blown up at a customer over email after she complained about poor service when they were running low on staff due to COVID. A woman identifying herself as Christina told news.com.or that she had received an abusive email from the owner of Pelicans Landing in Williamstown and was completely shocked. Christina said she's booked a table for three people and asked specifically for a table with a view, as well as asking if the restaurant's $19 menu was available. In the email to the restaurant, she wrote, To both of these questions I was advised yes. She continued, I caught an Uber there costing $25 and then waited over 15 minutes just to be seated. The table with a view I had requested was not available. I waited another half an hour without being offered a menu or drink. I finally went up to get a drink from the bar and was going to order meals and was told there was only a limited menu. I understand it's hard in COVID with staff shortages but this level of customer service is very disappointing and unacceptable.
She wasn't expecting a response from the restaurant owner John Malzafiriades, but when she received it, Christina said she was completely shocked. Malzafiriades went on a rant about how Covid had badly affected their staffing levels and called her low a scab, and a disgrace. In the email, Malzafiriades wrote, Obviously you have no idea what we are going through and lucky to be just open and trying to serve everyone with no staff. Are you serious? I had a wedding upstairs with two staff on and 104 people booked in, and yes we did have bar meals on but had to take them off as had no staff on virtually. With 37 staff down with Covid you just don't understand and then to have a go at me in front of your mother. What an embarrassment for her. He continued, What a disgrace you are to not only yourself but to me and your mother and now my staff. I don't need your comments and you don't understand. In my 23 years of owning Pelican's Landing, I have never met anyone as low as you and not even to respect what the whole of the world is going through. At least I was open trying to accommodate who I had on. And yes if you had to eat like everyone else you would have got served finally. He went on, and yes so what we did not have the bar meals on what a scab you are and so what spend another $10 and you would have been served. You should be ashamed of yourself. Stay home and eat baked beans on dry crusty bread next time. You're, sick, an embarrassment. And now you also throw in you spent $25 on Uber. What do you expect me to return that money to you also now? End of the world warning as Earth's insides are cooling faster than scientists thought. Since its formation, the Earth has been releasing vast amounts of heat from deep inside Earth's interior to the surface, which primarily drives mantle convection and a number of tectonic activities. The core mantle boundary has played an essential role in this heat transfer process. This is the boundary where the hot molten core is in direct contact with solid-state mantle minerals and helps transfer the thermal energies of the core to the overlying mantle. In a study, scientists looked at how well this boundary mineral, called brigmanite, could conduct heat from the core to the surface. They found that the boundary was able to dispense so much heat that scientists now believe that the Earth is losing heat from its interior at a much faster rate than previously expected. When the Earth first formed about 4.5 billion years ago, the Earth was covered by a deep ocean of magma, which then gradually cooled to form the crust we know today. Because the Earth's interior is still giving out heat, it will eventually cool down completely turning the planet into a barren wasteland like Mars and Mercury. To recreate the effects of intense heat and pressure that the boundary faces between the mantle and the core, a team of scientists irradiated a single crystal of brigmanite with pulsed lasers. This simultaneously increases its temperature to 2440 Kelvin and pressure to 80 gigapascals which is close to what we know to be the conditions in the lower mantle, up to 2630 Kelvin and 127 gigapascals of pressure. Planetary scientist Motor Heiko Murakami, who led the study said, 
This measurement system let us show that the thermal conductivity of Brigmanit is about 1.5 times higher than assumed. Research suggests that this natural process of cooling for the Earth's core could be speeding up. When cooled down, Brigmanit turns into the mineral postperovskite. However as the amount of postperovskite increases in the core mantle boundary, the cooling of the mantle might indeed accelerate even further. The researchers estimate that this mineral conducts heat even more efficiently than Brigmanit. Mr. Murakami said, our results could give us a new perspective on the evolution of the Earth's dynamics. Boris Johnson's fate hangs in balance as Truss, Hunt and Sunak plot. Boris Johnson was facing increasing pressure on his leadership today as senior ministers were accused of plotting to replace him and a former challenger admitted he still has ambitions to be prime minister. Amid the furor over Partygate, former Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt said his ambition to lead the party has not completely vanished. His admission in an interview this morning came as current Foreign Secretary Liz Truss and Chancellor Rishi Sunak fueled suggestions they would run if the PM was to resign. Mr Sunak refused to give his unequivocal backing to his boss today, abruptly ending a TV interview this morning when pressed if he gives his full support. He instead said he believes Mr Johnson is telling the truth and backs his request for patience during a Whitehall investigation by senior official Sue Gray. Ms Truss, who likes Sunak has high support among Tory grassroots, is also believed to have been holding fizz with Liz meetings with MPs to woo them to her cause. Mr Hunt, who has served as both Foreign and Health Secretary discussed not having given up hope to become Tory leader. Speaking to the House magazine he denied actively considering a run, before adding, I won't say my ambition has completely vanished, but it would take a lot to persuade me to put my hat into the ring. Mr Sunak and Ms Truss are seen as the frontrunners for any challenge to the Prime Minister. But Mr Hunt was the strongest opponent against Mr Johnson when he won the leadership in 2019, coming second before being comfortably beaten. Former Defence Secretary Penny Mordaunt has also been linked with Iran. In his first interview since Mr Johnson's apology to MPs over the scandal, the Chancellor said he accepts his explanation that he was not warned in advance about a no-ten-drinks party during lockdown in May 2020. Of course I do. The Prime Minister set out his understanding of this matter last week in Parliament. I refer you to his words he told broadcasters. Sue Gray is conducting an inquiry into this matter and I fully support the Prime Minister's requests for patience while that concludes. Asked if the Prime Minister should resign if he lied to Parliament, Mr Sunak said, I am not going to get into hypotheticals, the ministerial code is clear on these matters. Pressed on whether Mr Johnson had his unequivocal support, Mr Sunak swiftly broke off the interview walking off with a microphone still attached. The Chancellor's hours of silence after the Prime Minister's apology to the Commons last Wednesday over the 20 May 2020 Bring Your Own Booze Garden gathering in No. 10 had already been seen as conspicuous.
so far six Conservative MPs have publicly called for Mr Johnson to go amid widespread public anger over claims of lockdown breaching parties in No 10. The affair deepened when former chief adviser to No 10 Dominic Cummings last night claimed Mr Johnson lied to Parliament over the parties. Downing Street denies this, but appeared to accept that he would have to resign if he knowingly misled the House of Commons. Mr Cummings, Mr Johnson's former chief adviser who levelled the allegation of lying to Parliament, said Mr Hunt's remarks were a sign of a challenge. The ISSW1 code for leadership contest is imminent, sign up early if you want a seat in Cabinet, I'm on phone to donors and getting office set up, there has to be one non-Brexit nutter in last two Mr Cummings tweeted. While only six Tories have publicly called for Mr Johnson to quit, many more are believed to have privately written letters calling for a vote of no confidence. One route to a Tory leadership contest is for 54 letters to be submitted by MPs to chair of the 1922 Committee of Conservatives Sir Graham Brady, though he keeps the running total a closely guarded secret. Only Fools and Horses star David Jason sets sights on playing Del Boy one last time. Sir David Jason has set his sights on playing his iconic Only Fools and Horses character, Del Boy, one more time. The veteran actor last starred as Del Boy in 2003, but the 81-year-old still feels he has unfinished business with the Wheeler Dealer and fancies a final turn as the infamous Derek Trotter. I've always loved Del Boy, who is such a wonderful loser. I would love to revisit him, I need someone to write me a script. Only Fools and Horses, which is considered one of the greatest TV shows in British history, first aired on BBC One in 1981. It ran for ten successful years until 1991, and following the show's last official episode, and a number of various specials aired and the 1996 Christmas Day episode, where Dell and brother Rodney dressed up as Batman and Robin, was recently voted as one of the UK's all-time favourite telly moments. Lifting the lid on the iconic show, the actor told The Sun, as a show it's very important we don't forget about it, it has a huge following, it fills in that need for an awful lot of people. It's funny amusing and an identity for most people who watch it, who are working class and come from where I come from, and identify with the idiots who are the trotters. They're just like the rest of us, a family who have ups and downs. It comes after Sir David opened up about how an only fools and horses cameraman had to be replaced due to the fact he was continuously laughing too much. The now 81-year-old actor said the scenes being captured became too much for a cameraman, who had to be replaced due to not being able to control himself while on set. Sir David has said that they would still be filming now if they hadn't taken the action, as the humour of the scene became too much for the cameraman, who began shaking with laughter while filming. The actor recalled. We had to haul out the cameraman and replace him for that shot in the end. Plans for Kazakhstan regime change announced. A Kazakh businessman living in France, described as the country's opposition leader by US state-run media, 
has announced that he has a plan to take over the nation with the help of Western powers. Mukhtar Ablyazov, a Kazakh financier and political activist who has been living abroad for the past decade, told RIA Novosti that he is planning to return to the Central Asian nation, despite having been convicted in absentia for ordering the murder of a business partner in 2004. We have made a plan, we will achieve regime change Ablyazov said in an interview published on Monday. I'm going to fly in and will lead a temporary government of Kazakhstan for half a year. After that we will hold elections. If our party wins those elections, then I will become the legitimate prime minister. There will be no such thing as the president. We will liquidate that office. The banker claimed that this could take place in the near future, and added that he plans to appeal for help from Western governments. Abkhyazov has been dubbed Kazakhstan's opposition leader by RFE forward slash RL, an American state-run media concern which is charter-bound to provide a surge capacity to support United States foreign policy objectives during crises abroad. Now I'm appearing publicly on French television he elaborated. I addressed French President Emmanuel Macron directly. I have warned the Western countries that if they take a wait-and-see position, then Central Asia will become a bigger hotbed than Afghanistan. Ablyazov currently lives in France, where he has been granted refugee status, and said that he avoids travelling to other countries out of fears of being pursued by the Kazakh authorities. In addition to his murder conviction, the banker has been sentenced in Kazakhstan for fraud and embezzlement. He maintains that the charges are all politically motivated. Kazakhstan saw mass unrest in the first weeks of January, triggered at first by a sharp spike in fuel prices. The protests turned violent in places, and the authorities announced last week that at least 225 people died in the demonstrations, including 19 police officers and military servicemen. In response to the unrest, President Kasim Jomart Tokayev announced a series of planned political reforms, and also called for assistance from peacekeeping forces from the Russian-led CSTO alliance. The forces began their withdrawal last Thursday. The president also alleged that many of the protesters were terrorists with backing from overseas, but presented no evidence to support this theory. An Italian showgirl, a U.S. general, and the weaponization of sexual misconduct. Michela Morellato spent months getting flirty texts from the U.S. military's top man in Africa, before he was finally fired. The case showed how there's a heavy price to pay for those who receive unwanted sexual advances. When does a mere flirtation cross the line to become sexual misconduct? Flirtation is an important part of life attraction enhances almost everyone's human experience. But sexual attraction often becomes about power and a tool of coercion. Sexual harassment is a problem that can strike at the heart of women's struggle for equality in the workplace and the world. And it's troubling that institutions are often not consistent with their responses to sexual misconduct. Recently, 
I discussed this complicated topic with Michela Morellato, a former Italian showgirl and author and activist who has had her own share of challenging situations and public scandals. In her warm northern Italian accent, she told me, I am a sexual assault survivor. I know what sexual assault is, and like you, as a young woman I was sexually assaulted by a powerful man. She went on to explain how a man in the entertainment industry assaulted her when she was 18 years old, and tried to blackmail her into a sexual liaison, promising her work. Against the advice of her family, Michelle went to the police and a lawyer and sued him. This experience changed the way I looked at the world. I became feisty and rebellious. I would not accept people calling me a whore and other names because I was a victim of sexual assault she told me. Michelle went on to write a book A Talent for Trouble, a fictionalized memoir that describes her interactions with men, including a scandal that played out in real life. U.S. Army Major General Joseph Harrington came on the scene in 2017. Michelle was going through a rough patch at that time with her husband, a soldier in the U.S. military. They had a baby son and the marriage had grown into domestic familiarity. It just became routine. He was exhausted from his work as a paratrooper and paid me less attention she said. Michelle went to the gym daily to work out, and General Harrington began to take notice of her. Unbeknown to Michelle, he was in charge of the U.S. Army in Africa from a base in Vicenza. The flirting started with an innocent compliment from him. At first, Michelle said it felt so good to be noticed. The general would watch her work out at the gym so often that her boxing coach noted his presence. Michelle shrugged it off. I love men and the flirting she said. This is Italy and here it is a way of life. My husband knows I am flirtatious and my ways, he understands. I love the good attention of a man and he was just very sweet and kind to me. But I think they should explain to American soldiers the culture of the country they are visiting in so they are respectful. I think the problem is that American soldiers who come here think they can do whatever they want, especially the high-ranking officers. Michelle's point is a valid one, as sexual misconduct in the American military is a serious problem. The Department of Defense estimates that over 20,500 soldiers are victims of sexual misconduct every year, but only a fraction of these cases are reported. The military was recently called out in a Senate investigation by victim advocate whistleblowers including Amy Frank for not helping victims of sexual violence and domestic abuse, with some cases resulting in murder and suicides. Michelle had high hopes for a friendship with the general. She continued, at first, I thought he will be a nice friend, I can meet his wife, we will all have dinner together but he wanted to keep us secret, and I did not like that. He kept trying to get me to come alone to his house but I never had an affair with him. He was smooth with his flirting, not vulgar. There were hours of phone calls, thousands of texts and video chats between Michelle and the general over a period of months, 
all hinting that he wanted more than a friendship from her. In some conversations, it was clear he was pleasuring himself. But she said she was not going to be unfaithful to her husband. Eventually, I think he became tired of knowing I would not have an affair with him and suddenly he cut me off like he never knew me, threw me away like a tissue Michelle explained, adding that she was hurt. Obviously, a senior military man flirting with the wife of one of his soldiers was potentially big news, and the interactions began to leak out after Michelle spoke to a member of an organization called Protect Our Families. This individual asked Michelle if she would speak to a reporter. The scandal, which was already being whispered about, quickly gathered momentum. Michelle agreed to speak to a USA Today reporter on condition of anonymity, and the journalist promised her name would not be made public. The piece was published, and the base started buzzing with speculation over who the woman was who had engaged in inappropriate exchanges with the general. A Facebook group of soldiers and spouses seemed determined to figure out her identity. Things started to unravel. Michelle says the reporter gave her name, without permission to Army Intelligence at the Pentagon. The Pentagon contacted Michelle to testify under oath about her communication with General Harrington, assuring her she was somehow protected by the Whistleblower Act. Then they released her name publicly without her permission. All of the hostility on the base about the affair began to be directed at Michelle. She was treated like an outcast when at the gym or picking up her children. The group of mostly American officer wives became quite openly hostile to her. She was a social pariah. Then, the U.S. military retaliated. One day, when out walking, she was almost hit by a car on a blind corner at the front of the base. She asked the local Italian police if she could take a picture of the dangerous corner, and reported what had happened. This image became the basis of a charge of espionage, even though a photo of the same army base gate is on the internet. The US military prohibited pictures of bases, and Michelle had posted the photo on a private Facebook chat between soldiers and spouses. The military implied she had committed a serious breach of security. Espionage is a serious charge in any country. In Italy, even if the charge is thrown out it is stackable, meaning if you are ever in court again it can be brought up. To Michelle's relief, the Italian court threw out the charge, although the stress and difficulties it caused her husband at his work took quite a toll. She told me, it is lucky I was already a familiar figure in the Italian media. Imagine if this was another woman from Russia or some other country it would have been a horrible result for them. Lucky for me I am known in my community and country and these charges were absurd. I understood her bewilderment at the charge, as I had faced my own accusations simply because I spoke truth about my experiences as a Senate staffer. Reporters would accuse me of being a Russian asset. Bill Mayer, dripping sarcastic monologues dismissed the sexual assault I experienced as some sort of sabotage of Joe Biden, because I loved Russia and publicly supported the Russian leadership. 
This led to me being called a traitor. The tactic was to not attack the veracity of what happened to me, but just make me so despicable to Americans that no one cared about what had happened. Neo-McCarthyism serves a multitude purpose for the American government agenda, from dismissing misconduct by its elites to character attacks on those challenging policies and justifying military conflict. It's a dismal approach to geopolitics, and disastrous for anyone in its path. The whack-a-mole approach by U.S. government officials to accuse people of being spies or Russian agents has become redundant and lacks the impact it once did due to so many false allegations. For Michelle, the repercussions rumble on. Even though the espionage charge was called ridiculous by the Italian judge, she is banned from the army base except to pick up and drop off her children. She is escorted by military personnel everywhere and, in her own words, treated like a criminal. Michelle is very remorseful about her interactions with the general, who was stripped of a star, forced to retire, and called dissolute and immoral for his behavior. She said, I think he was grooming me to be his mistress, to have sex with him. I was contacted by other female soldiers who had the same experience with the general. For them, the retaliation would have been even worse. But I am curious why they take such harsh action against him and not go after other soldiers who are violent and rape. So, I wonder if there was another reason they wanted him fired. The mystery around his sudden dismissal deepens when you consider his involvement in covert actions by the military in Niger and other regions of Africa. In Niger, several soldiers were killed in an ambush on 4 October. 2017. Just days later, Harrington was fired. Did the military, which is normally so slow to respond to sexual misconduct allegations, use this situation to get rid of the general? An anonymous source stated, General Harrington was not fired over text messages, they didn't want the connection of deaths of American soldiers in the Niger ambush to a sex scandal. The weaponization of sexual misconduct against those who are inconvenient is part and parcel of a deeply misogynist approach by patriarchal institutions. For victims of abuse, it is a frustrating reality that powerful people rarely face the consequences they deserve, unless there is some agenda by the power structure. Michelle has moved on from all the drama caused by her being interrogated by U.S. officials and says her marriage is strong and her husband devoted to his career in the armed services. Michelle helped found the Never Alone Advocacy Group with Amy Frank, victim advocate and whistleblower about the lack of military response to sexual violence and domestic violence. I like to help survivors of violence get resources and justice said Michelle. I will continue to do this work and speak up for victims. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.